0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Knowledge Exchange podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Arbilla, lead mentor at the Knowledge Exchange. We specialize in helping clinicians apply a BPS approach to their practice. We do one-on-one and group mentoring to support clinicians with skills to handle and manage the uncertainty and the real challenges of clinical practice. So if interested, reach out at tkex.org and join our community. Today, I'm very excited to have on Jacob Templar. He's a physical therapist, over at the state's Instagram meme lord who provides some very helpful evidence-based content and some much needed comic relief during my at least social media doom scrolling so jacob thanks so much for for making the time mate
1: yeah thanks for having me on uh joining a long list of uh, some pretty big names on this on this podcast mate it's an absolute honor i'm slowly getting
0: all the the influencers, the, the term influencer has a negative connotation, but I feel yeah. like with people like yourself and all the other uh, people on Instagram now, it's slowly shifting towards a more positive uh, connotation, we'll say. So, Yeah, for the listeners, I'll
1: oh, go for it. It's always just weird to like tell somebody, like, hey, I do all this stuff on social media. And it's like weird to be like, oh, I'm an influencer, I guess. Yeah. Where's your detox tea and like 5% off everything? Yeah.
0: Mate, for the people who don't know you, what's your story?
1: Yeah, so uh, obviously I'm over here in uh, the U.S. Um, I'm in New York, uh, which there's more than just the city. They're, half of the population lives outside the city. Um, so I live in upstate New York. Um, I always have pretty much for most of my life. I did some schooling in central New York and uh, Utica, uh, I did my bachelor's there in uh, exercise or not exercise, it's a uh, health studies, So it's like a pre like PT, pre any like kind of health related field you might want to do. Um, You can't really do much with the degree just by itself. Um, Then I was kind of like in the track to be like in the PT program there, the physio program. So it's kind of like already pre accepted into that as long as I maintain my uh, averages and everything like that and a lot of schools here will do like the three and three. So you're kind of fast tracked and instead of it being seven years, it takes six years to get the doctorate in physical therapy that we need here in the States. Um, So then I did my three years of graduate studies there um, did uh, my final clinical at a really good outpatient place, which kind of like set me up for success, like starting in my career and kind of started to poke the holes into like some of the beliefs I'm going to have from like school started working at a outpatient or like right away, um, and got that job because of that last clinical, um, worked there for a number of years and moved, uh, to, from Syracuse to Rochester, New York. And I've been out here ever since. And now I work in a uh, the largest of our outpatient clinics for a hospital network out here. Um, so I see like a number of, um, like wide array. Like it's, it's interesting. Cause now I'm able to like, if people tell me like they can't do something with the population they work with, I'm like, well, you probably can because I do it with who I work with because like the people I work with are very either low socioeconomic status, low health r- literacy, um, received generally really bad healthcare advice. A lot of times, um, refugees, uh, people where English is not their first language, um, just kind of everything you can think of as being a potential barrier or like i've at least seen somebody with that uh, as well as other large issues in their life um, you know that may make physical therapy not a very large priority for them yeah we talk about the social determinants of healthcare and
0: how large an impact they have and it's yeah. just like invisible and also over a large lifetime that we don't really Appreciate it until we maybe work in a context where that's very, very apparent and starts to be like, uh, we need a shift and be flexible with our approaches. So that's awesome. That's like the real authentic work that we don't often talk about, like the impact of the clinical context, which you've covered in a few recent posts I've seen.
1: Yep. Yeah. And then um, before I started working here, I, I got like, we have different distinctions when you come out of school. So like, you don't have to do any specialization or anything, but then I did our Orthopedic board specialization, um, and before that, I had got my certification in McKenzie mechanical diagnosis and therapy, which is actually really interesting because that actually led me to be more where I am than anything I think. It like my mind's going. It lends
0: towards that uh, scientific methodology of testing, retesting of of uh, looking at research at the very least, compared to maybe some other schools of thought or like mo- like um m- modalities or courses
1: yeah and I think my interpretation of things that like Mackenzie has said in the past is like quite different than what they teach about because I look at some stuff and I go I don't see how this is too different from like certain aspects of biopsychosocial or um you know like poking holes and like fundamental flaws that we have in um like certain camps of like, you know, either manual therapy or like pure exercise based or um, like that, you know, it's just shifting away from like one thing being sufficient and uh, causative of like the issue that somebody is seeing you for.
0: There's um that it's so easy to go into the linear causality, black or white mm. thinking on, on socials. Um, hence this podcast right now, we can dive into some of the the nuance. And, um, the, the one thing you mentioned with your experience was your final clinical led you more towards, it was like one of the turning points in your career. Yeah. Um, and I'm always fascinated to see how that is. Cause a, a lot like
1: myself, I can resonate with my own clinical placement experiences. What was it like for you? Tell us a bit more. Yeah. So, I mean, the first thing was like, I'd heard of like the McKenzie stuff and then it's like one thing, I guess, to be taught about it. And then like, I went in and I'm just like seeing patients with, you know, the first week, like kind of observing and they're kind of like getting you comfortable with how they flow and do things and then work you in. And we go into like, it was like the first evaluation and this lady comes in and she's got shoulder pain. And I'm like, oh, she probably got like, you know, back when I would have said, oh, she probably has like shoulder impingement, blah, 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 this, this, and this. And then he's going through and and he, my instructor had me like test her range of motion or strength and she's like you know got kind of the classic signs you'd look for for quote-unquote impingement and um which i don't even use that term anymore um and like a significant loss of motion and then um you know so he starts like looking at her neck and i'm like okay whatever like um starts having to do these movements with her neck and then she went from like hardly being able to lift her arm to like now she's lifting her arm way up over her head and I check her strength and it went from like on a manual muscle test three out of five to five out of five and I'm just like what is this like this doesn't make sense they didn't teach us about this and then like that led to conversations too of them like poking into the idea of like you know pathology and like a diagnosis like what does that really mean because you know somebody can come in and supposedly they have whatever and you have them just do something and then it significantly changes like well why you know according to everything we have been taught that shouldn't happen like so just kind of like starting along that line of like oh well maybe there's more things going on than we than meets the eye it's such a
0: like novel input and it's amazing to get the person to experience a change so then they see Mm -hmm. hope and it's not just their path anatomical diagnosis because generally when people get given that diagnosis they think it's that's it they're doomed they're, there's yeah. no way that physical therapy is going to do anything if it's bone on bone or if you know there's some impingement structurally underneath the surface and then you do yeah. some kind of intervention and then like oh they start to see and be curious to explore some other options so I can, yeah like, exactly. the way i see is like it's, it's an option for that symptom modification minus all the uh, added narratives, I guess, in in some schools of thought. Is, wh-
1: yeah. What would you say I get? Yeah. Yep. I get. Yeah. I get what you're saying. Without us getting to the rabbit hole of that. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's for a podcast number two. And um, yeah. Th-
0: there's a. I've noticed over the time following you that you have changed some of your approaches, maybe in the in the captions and the mm-hmm. uh, the format overall. And uh, I'm definitely no expert in how the Instagram landscape and context has changed and how engagement and algorithms also influence how content is made. But Mm. how have you kind of changed and adapted your style over the the time you've been on on social media?
1: Yeah. I think the biggest thing was like for a while I was going on um, and like just making posts like, and and I still kind of do this, but like making posts off the top of my head, like so I would just come up with a caption and not really have any like, references or anything but as I got farther like I'm like oh, it's kind of important if I'm saying that I'm evidence-based for me to give people the information so then like if they so chose to go further and question me and be like hey you know what about this this and this well now you have okay well this is what I'm basing my argument off of or what my stance is on this and so you could look into it and you know either come to your own conclusion or potentially have a different conclusion and then at least we're coming from the same point if we've read the same things. Cause um, you know, that's one of the things in debate is like, if you put out a stance, it's up to you to provide the burden of proof and not the person asking the question, Uh, which I think a lot of people get wrong on social media because we're not all formally trained in kind of like critical thinking and debate and stuff like that. Um, So I went from that to then providing more uh, like, I would provide the references, but a really long caption. And then like, just as things change, you got to like change a little bit to play with the algorithm. Like some people won't really like look at a long caption. So for a little while I went to, okay, I'm reading this, you know, I'm going to put this in slides or, uh, and then like, just have captions be like, uh, like copywriting, I guess. Um, um, I went from, Sometimes, like posts being so much work for me to not really like be getting anything from them too. like some posts and series I've done are literally like a, you know, like the o a ones I've done and like the total knee replacement was like probably each one was probably like two or three weeks of work to go through almost all the literature I could find or or I at least stumbled on um, to put those out. So I'm like, well, this is like too much. And I already read a lot. So why don't I just read and highlight while I read and then turn that into a post. And it's made things a lot quicker and a lot better turnover and um, seems to be more engaging. And I, and I find it depends also on like the meme and what time you post and, and like a lot of things like that. And it's kind of... I'm kind of, in some ways, sick of it because I hate the way that the algorithm changes everything. And right now, everything's going to reels, which I'm not a fan of. Um, it just doesn't lend itself to the type of content that I would make. Um, so it's made some things more challenging. Out of curiosity, what if there was a perfect kind of format or medium rather for you
0: to uh, put out mm. information? What what would that look like? Because I, I I resonate so much with like the frustration of putting in so much work and effort over a long time and people don't really see the behind the scenes work for a long form content with references in, included. So what would be like yeah. a more ideal version in your mind?
1: I don't know. It's tough to say. Cause you want like a platform that has a big reach and I'm fine with like just reaching clinicians. Like I'd rather reach like, I think I'm at like 22,000 something now. I'd rather have that be like all clinicians than anyone else, because like that's the exponential effect. Um, I I do think like certain like forms of Instagram are good. It's just what the algorithm like preferentially pushes is not where like I want things to be. Because if it's educational for those people, like I I've literally I've I've made posts and I've had to like say things to people be like hey if you actually like my content you should really like either turn on the push notifications or you have to like it or you have to put a comment otherwise like it's just going to get buried in the algorithm and then you're going to stop seeing my content um, and things like that and you know because I want to keep doing it I enjoy it for myself too but um, I think a little bit of the older Instagram where maybe like it seemed like the algorithm would like play around with both of them and then like a mixture of like Facebook and maybe YouTube. like the problem with that is it's gonna it takes so long then to then I have to make a video and then worry about the video quality and audio and like it being interesting. So I think for me, like the the combination of like Instagram and then like leading into podcasts and stuff like that would probably be the best um like uh amalgamation of both of the, like what would be the best for me type of things I do. Yeah. So having that uh, reach
0: through Instagram initially, and then going towards the longer form content to dive into the the details on a podcast form. And I think what you just said is important for people to realize I come across a lot of clinicians that uh, notice the algorithm changing and myself included Mm -hmm. to to like um, putting out uh, things that you do, for instance, further down. So it takes actually longer to scroll towards the good content that you want. Yeah. And this is where, filtering social media and you know following the the right people that you want to follow is important and then showing support with likes so then you can see more of that and support the content creators such as yourself
1: yeah because i have played around with it before if you selectively engage with certain things i've noticed it does make a big difference like um there was a time where I i was reading through the lord of the rings book so i specifically went and I was like let me see if I can make my explore page all Lord of the Rings content and then I went on and just liked like engaged with stuff like that and literally my whole explore page then was just Lord of the Rings stuff and then lately I've been doing more where um I just finished reading finally the big um it's kind of like a big anti-nihilistic um and really really dark fantasy story berserk um, which um I've noticed that more too is like now on the for you page I get a lot more a lot more of stuff related to uh, Berserk and anime and stuff showing up on my explore page yeah you can do a few
0: experiments there to see how you how much you can influence it and I'm sure everyone has um, had a conversation in passing and then they suddenly see a targeted ad on their news feed somewhere so I think there's uh, a lot of power that people have with influencing their experience on social media. So it's not just all shit content that they yeah. see because um, that can deter people from uh, engaging and also starting up and starting out their own content. Um, and one of the posts that uh, was one of my favorites that you've put out with uh, Physio Thinker Cooney, the um, yeah. people have, a, clinicians have a responsibility to, uh, call out misinformation they highly recommend checking that one out it's one of your pinned posts on your instagram mm. for and this leads to the next question for clinicians who are looking to start and looking to engage more and contribute to better information out there on socials um, and they're kind of hesitant towards some barriers that they're, they're afraid of of getting meaned. they're afraid of um, um they're, they're just overwhelmed with where to start what what would you say maybe to that first one where they, they don't want to um, uh, get called out by their colleagues or be othered and, and shamed? I, I hear that barrier and, and it's a very real one
1: come up when people are starting out. Um, what would you say to that one? Yeah. I mean, in general, I would tell people to like, just do it anyways, like mm-hmm. because the thing is like like especially me like i would look at smaller pages and i'm generally not going to punch down like if there's somebody like that's got like a thousand or less than a thousand followers and like yeah maybe they're not putting out like the best message but it also depends on who their target audience is right like Um, and what their purpose is like i realize that in some cases depending on our verbiage if i'm making content for like my clinic or my business it might look different than how it would if i'm trying to educate a clinician or be like some people have told me that like some of my posts are too complicated while i'm like well that's because i'm catering to a specific audience and not just like everybody um and i would say like too is like in that case too. I'm I'm less likely to then make a meme about them. Like I wouldn't say, and I don't tend to do that for the most part. Anyways, I try and make it like this has to do with a concept, and then discuss why that concept itself is is not necessarily the right line of thinking. Uh, just because I don't think that that tends to lend itself to better engagement and like more. Um, i don't want to how do i want to say this helpful like not, discussions on yeah the plane, not the person less yeah of, that yeah. and i think the people even on the sidelines you often will see this where if you do that then people look at that and just think you're being a bully um and especially if you're punching down rather than like you know if you're going after like squat you or something like that which even then like people still are like well what have you ever done and and like so you're, you're not ever always gonna make everyone happy um but i would say eat too is like just be open-minded and like willing to change because the people that don't is the ones that are more that we would say specifically you know like i don't want to say target like i don't want to be like i'm not like trying to cyber bully people but like more people that would be on our radar is like, Hey, this person's not putting out good information because we've had an honest and open discussion, not trying to be provocative or, you know, just saying like, Hey, have you ever thought about blah, blah, blah. And and I've had those conversations with some people and they have changed their narratives. Like, um, you know, specifically even like, look at Eugene uh, Teow, like he's a perfect example where we've had discussions and, and, talked about stuff and he was like oh yeah i see your point and like he's brought some stuff too and it's like we can have that uh back and forth and now he's like kind of slightly changed things and he's changed the verbiage that he's using we've seen this evolution over time and his you know and he's very successful at what he does too which is and it's good to see we have like now you can say hey we have this person that's a champion for movement optimism and and you know critical thought and uh, being open to having good discussion as well as um, he puts out a lot of stuff that's like uh multidimensional too. He doesn't, he's not very reductionist even though his page is big and gets a good audience. Yeah. that's a great example of like uh, being
0: inspired to reach out maybe directly to people to engage and see how willing they are to change. Cause I th- mm. think there's that assumption that they just won't ever change because they're, you know profiting off the content that they produce and the sunk yeah. cost for them would be so great that they wouldn't even bother um uh, they'd just ignore and ghost your any dms or, or comments and efforts that you put um into engaging in the first place but then we get someone like eugene who actually has done like a, a, almost a 360 and from looking back years ago at what the content he used to put out and now mm-hmm. um thanks to the engagement and his willingness and curiosity he's change his narrative completely and it's suited yeah. him for his benefit so i think that there is hope for some and then for for others uh, as well maybe we can um expand a little bit on what you mean by punch up punch down and and maybe your intention behind that in the first place like the whole purpose because on the outside it can
1: appear like cyberbullying yeah yeah i mean the idea is that is like if you look at the potential like say now eugene who's got like half a million or more followers like if he were to say something like how does that substantially influence like the culture around like a topic? Um, cause we can see that with like, you know, like squat you in like, um, I don't know, like Athlean acts like that kind of thing. Like I've literally had patients, uh, say to me, cause I work with a lot of lifters generally, or if we get somebody that like is in the clinic, that's like a recreational lifter. I tend to see them more, um, because of my experience. um, And we were just like talking about programming and stuff. And I was telling them like, I do upright rows and they were like, Oh, I'm surprised as a therapist, you would do upright rows because of your for your shoulder. And that literally, and they told me it literally came from Jeff Cavalier. Um, So it's like things like that, where it's like, okay, well, and those people typically are people that like in the past, we've like tried to have discussion or tried to say something. And like, they just will completely ignore it. And, you know um so like tend to punch up because like they're bigger than you it's just like this it's this common thing in like management like as a manager um you know you wouldn't pull a joke or whatever like on your subordinate or like the new person you might a little bit but like that's a tried and like just traditional thing like it's like same and it's always been like that i guess in the military too like if you're you know a lieutenant you wouldn't gamble with a private and, and try and beat them because that doesn't look what look good. Um it's just a general rule. Like um versus like somebody who's above you, you can kind of like, you know, sit aside with your privates and whatever and as a sergeant make fun of the lieutenant. Yeah, the the purpose would, would be for
0: the uh trying to influence more uh what people see because starting out I'm imagining if you start from zero followers and then you start with a few friends and family, you get to maybe a hundred people. It's uh, it takes a lot of effort and time. And one of the ways to kind of game the algorithm in a way is put out helpful content to counter the content that, you know, the the person with a million followers is putting out. So then all Mm. their followers can see, Oh, this is interesting. This is different. Um, so there is that ability to reach more people. For overall, like zooming out, we're trying to help clients and patients. Yeah. And the clients and patients are not going to come across that physical therapist with a hundred followers. They're going to come across like someone with a million followers, and they're yeah. gonna that, that there's that authority bias because they've got a million followers that oh they know they know their shit. So the purpose is for that kind of interaction to try and influence what the mainstream or the the lay person sees and comes across
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and i've had lots of therapists and different people be like hey you've definitely changed my mind about like whatever topic that one of those pages was posting about and then they're like i can see now like how like that wasn't actually helpful for my recovery like long term and they've like changed some of the things they've done and they're like i actually feel a lot better now that's that's everything
0: that's literally just through the power of social media. So yeah. Did you charge them? Did you send through the invoice? <laughs> I should have sent them an invoice, right? <laughs> yeah. So. There, there's that huge potential. I think that we underestimate the power of culture to yeah. influence
1: and shape behaviors in the long and term. I, and I wish I made as much money as like these other pages do. And and even with like the size of my page, if, if it was just like a specific, like if I was just an average person with the size of the following that I have. Uh, typically they actually make like a hundred thousand dollars or more a year and I can tell you I don't n- make nearly that much not even close yeah there's there's potential and if, if
0: we were to if you were to provide like a few uh, tips helpful useful uh, starting points say if you had right now um, just started your social media journey knowing mm-hmm. what you know um, we've mentioned one of the ways is to kind of game the algorithm and offer perhaps some alternative, helpful solutions to the bullshit spouted out by the influencer with millions of followers to Mm -hmm. get more engagement. Um, And there is that controversy kind of attracts engagement theme going along. What would be some useful starting points for the listeners who are just starting out and, you know, um, having less followers?
1: Yeah. I think it's like, know your audience. Like who do you want to target? Like does, do you want it to be clinicians? Do you want it to be the average person Um, I wouldn't say you definitely like need to niche down, but I think having an area where you definitely feel more comfortable helps because then you can always have like a fallback of like, well, I can try these other things. Um, but then you always have like this one area where you can like kind of fall back to be like your expertise. Like I don't like post, I don't think as much about like back pain and like neck pain and stuff as I used to. Uh, but like that's like a fallback for me. Like I feel very comfortable discussing ideas and concepts to do with that, so it's like something easy for me now. Um, but like something like that, um, you know, who, know who you want to target. Know kind of like you might have to look at your insights. See like when do people who actually do follow you like engage the most? Um, I found like say for example for me if I post before I leave for work, then I definitely am gonna hit more people because my most active engaged, uh, people are in either Australia, New Zealand, um, like other countries. Um, so those are the ones that once those pick it up, then everybody else sees it more, um, that, um, find like a medium that you like, that you find easy to do and enjoyable. Um, so that it doesn't become a chore. Um, so like for me, it's, memes were always much easier than anything else and i kind of s- still do stink at making posts look really really nice like the reason why that posts i have with like physio thinker or like posts i've done with elizabeth uh Elisabetta, i always call i call her sigma because uh beta is close enough to beta that i was like i'm just going to call you sigma um so things i've done with her she's really good at making it look nice and so like but some of those people, I just come up with information and then they make it look really nice. Um, and and in their own way, they can do that, too. But I, I'm like, if I'm going to collab with you, I might as well do, you know, I'll do the half that I know that I'm really good at. And you can take care of the half that I know you're really good at, at least um, yeah. play to your strengths and collaborate yeah. where possible. Yeah. And I've been trying to do that more, too, because there's lots of smaller pages that I think are really great. And then like they have really good content and it takes off on my page because they're like people are like, oh, this looks really nice. This is a really good concept. Um, And people come up with ideas sometimes that I'm like, huh, I didn't think to like um, approach it in that way. And I tend to agree with them on certain things, too. And like and I have certain friends, too, that are like um, we have like more challenging conversations like definitely with like cam fowler like me and him and i have a lot of really good conversations where we like poke into each other's ideas and beliefs about stuff um and have done a lot of collaborative work too before um those uh, i'm trying to think of another one i think the other one is just like um show up and be consistent like with everything that I've done, like, pretty much has been through sheer will of, like, persistence. Like, I don't have nearly as many followers as, like, certain other people that it, have had pages for less time than me. And I think part of that, I mean, part of it is that I'm just consistent. And so, like, I've just stayed and just kind of, like, slowly grow. And then, like, things die a little bit. And then you grow more. And then it's just compounded over over time. Yeah.
0: And uh, realistically, it takes time as well. I think there's the idea that you'll get an overnight success with some viral meme or post and everyone will, will love it. But then you, you really can't predict engagement and that's really outside yeah. of your control for the large part of, yeah. of things. So it's important, I think, for content creators out there to understand maybe realistic expectations and why they're starting it in the first place i think mm-hmm. that one from my point of view i can see your passion through your posts through all the hard work and consistency that you do and i feel like that's one of the drivers in a lot of us to keep creating content that passion to put out yeah. some good information and and fight combat the, the bullshit that's out there mm-hmm.
1: yeah exactly and that keeps you driving yeah. forward because i've learned a lot but i have a passion for it and like to poke into my beliefs and that's like why even like some of the old posts that I have I still keep them on there because then you can see like too like oh this is where I kind of like started from like some of them go way back to like when I was in college and like didn't even think about doing uh, physio related stuff but and then, and then like you can see where there's an evolution even in the physio stuff and it like does get a little bit cleaner I change formats a little bit like different things like that so you can see you know, areas where I've changed my mind about too. What what are some of those areas? It's always a
0: fascinating topic to, um, I, I call it repenting our sins of the past yeah. and what we used to do and, and believe in. I think it, it brings a sense of humility that we're all human and we're still learning mm. and we're like totally going to be wrong. So like in, in a year's time, we're going to have something change when we're going to update continuously. And what were your kind of go-tos back in the day? You mentioned yeah. shoulder impingement, and in...
1: that that was one of them. Um, let's see, that one. Um, I definitely used to think more of surgeries than I do now. Like I'm like notorious now for like being seen as like anti-surgery, but like I, it's usually because I've read the, a lot of literature on it, and I'm not very like sold on certain things. Um, I used to not be as into like. Um, I guess like pain science stuff um i don't know i kind of like dislike the word like being like i'm a pain science person but just like the understanding of certain things like that um definitely used to be more like biomechanical thinking like even to the point where i i have like read mcgill's like books and stuff like that uh way back early in my career and like used to tell people like not to bend and flex that much and like um different things like that um i don't know if i always really believe too much in the tech stacks stuff but like definitely earlier in my career i could see myself like saying some of that stuff to people and just have changed a lot of like the narratives and uh different things like that and understanding complexities that that's like um
0: generally what we're taught, the tech ne- text next, the kind of movement correction, or all, all the ideas with, where um, it's it's interesting, like looking back, I, um, I I feel a sense of embarrassment almost at, at having those narratives, but then looking at it now, it's more of the sources. We talked about references, including slides and reflecting mm-hmm. on our epistemology. And it's just what we were taught. And hence that's where the, like, the flexibility to update and change our narratives and question ourselves and apply that critical thinking is, yeah. is everything it's ongoing. Um, and, mm-hmm. and talking about critical thinking and, and like we mentioned debating as well as a, is a mm-hmm. skill that people forget. Um, yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I definitely didn't take a course on debating in, in my university career. So how would, what would you say we should um, do to get people starting to learn more and engage with these concepts of, philosophy of science and critical thinking
1: skills yeah i think a lot of it is like first like being curious but then also like like it's the same with like clinical practice you have to really be reflective for you to change and grow otherwise like you don't really you you never really like push forward because you have to be like well i have to try something and then like reflect on it and then like you know why you know and think about like well why was i successful this time, uh, in like poke holes in it, like, well, was this thing that I initially got think was the reason why this worked? Or, um, I believe this, the, is that the real reason why, or could there be alternatives? So it's like, I think that's why with people with like a PhD, you see much more of like in general that because they, they, when they write a dissertation on something, they literally have to go through and, straw man every single aspect about what they're writing about and then go how would I you know uh, uh, like approach this and I've done that too with like you know Mackenzie like I did that for a long time with that and I was like you know would come up with all the straw man things and like to the point where I think I've kind of been like in that community like people don't really view me as like being involved with that anymore like who I used to associate a lot more with because I'm just like would be like, well, why this? Why this? Like, you know, continuously poking holes and then like trying to reflect. And then like me writing up things to go on social media then causes me to like synthesize that information. And usually then I'm pulling from multiple sources um, too to, to like, you know, show like, okay, well, this is what I know on this topic. This is what I think. This is why. Um and then being able to have those discussions with other people, you know, and sometimes you have to sit back and and be reflective in the um like active way. It's just the same way that like meditation doesn't work if it's not an active thing or like a lot of the um uh I don't know, I guess Adrian Lowe calls them like the P and E plus things, like Uh, localization, laterality, like um, mirror therapies and like uh, visualization, they don't really work well if you're not an active participant. So like sometimes I've even seen things where it's like a web of like, you have this concept, you put it down, you write it down, you go, okay, well, what are all the things that I know about this? And why do I know those things? And like, what if something was different? What would I know? And then I think learning the history of like certain concepts in physio also is very helpful because then you realize like how like shoddy and shaky some of the foundations of certain concepts that are just like continuously perpetuated are even like the idea of like the myth of like squatting being bad for your knees. Like if if you understand where that came from, you're like, wow, that was actually kind of dumb. Like, why did that get carried forward and not like why didn't people question that at the time? I think I heard this in one of your podcasts, but would you be keen to share on on
0: the, what you know about the history of, of that thing? Yeah. So, so
1: I learned that from listening to iron culture, they have like a, um, I guess he's, he is like an iron culturist. Like he's an anthropologist with a specific interest in like physique and strength sports. Um, so he talked about like in, I think it was like in the fifties, they took, People that had qualified for like a specific event, like a Pan American event in Texas. It was at University of Texas, and this researcher, I forget his name, um, had this brace and it measured like the forces on the knee. And it all the ended up finding was that in a deep squat, like that position produced more of a specific type of force. So then he concluded, well, that must mean then now that's bad for your knee. Which if you know anything about research, you go, you can't look at a mechanism and just say, hey, now that's going to lead to an outcome. Um, like when we have no other data, that's OK, like to sometimes be working off of. But like you have to do long term prospective analysis like does this actually lead to the outcome we think it would Uh, but nobody actually questioned that and then sports illustrated took that up and then it got just like all over and then it's still something like i don't hear as much of it now and it could be just who i engage with but i know that that's probably still out there in some ways that uh, mechanistic data
0: extrapolated to infinity fallacy it's probably called something much much easier to to pronounce and say but yeah that's so prominent in in a lot of uh, musculoskeletal pain injury uh, Mm. claims out there so it's it's fascinating that's that's a good uh concept to look at like where did this claim actually come from like uh, where did it begin who started kind of talking about it and and why and what were their reasons for it so then you can unpack a little bit of the assumptions because on the surface Mm. level there's so many assumptions that you can be blinded to you can just like accept without questioning yeah. if you don't do that process. And that, that process also takes a bit of effort as well. It's like hard to unpack. Yeah. It's not it's not fun and easy to unpack all your beliefs and why you believe them.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And and there's others that I've like looked at too and I'm just like, wow, I can't believe like this came from like this one study or like um I mean I even just I just finished reading um the book Ian Harris did with um, this other physician. Um, her name is Rachel something. Um, I can't remember her name, her last name. But and this is hypocrisy. The book. Yeah. Yep. I'll Google that one as you talk. Yeah, and that one's like great. Like it just goes through all these things that, like you know. Um, I mean even one of the beliefs that like I would have had before reading this book like I think vaccines are good and they're good preventative medicine but they talked about like there's this myth that we think that like vaccines are the sole thing that like um, say um, completely revolutionized like. Certain aspects like modern medicine being the reason why people live longer, but they actually poke at and show like, well, actually, a lot of things had to do with like general policy, like clean water, um, food availability, like uh, modern housing, like different things like that, that are all like public, like influenced heavily by public policy, like, you know, building codes and stuff like that, like stuff we don't even think about um that had such a a substantial effect on say like tuberculosis and polio and influenza and like all those other things. And then now they said, well, then a vaccine or antibiotics came out and now we've eradicated like polio or measles and stuff like that. But we were already headed and a trajectory where, yeah, people would get them and they would live, they would survive because of these other factors. But now we have something that's then now completely eradicated them when in actuality, uh, a lot of times now, because of these other advancements, like medicine actually causes more problems than it solves. So fascinating.
0: It's um, And all this you can't get in one meme, unfortunately. So engaging in yeah. deeper content like hypocrisy. And that's um, Rachel Butchbinder. I might be butchering her yeah. surname, but highly recommend hypocrisy. That book and yeah. anything that Ian Harris produces
1: is a legend. Well, and I even did a post like, uh, and I said like musculoskeletal, medicine may be the least evidence-based uh field of medicine and uh, a lot of people did like it but then some people like they didn't tag me but then i ended up seeing it and they were like what does everyone think about this i disagree with this right that's a it brought some um kind of there is that
0: uh there's two things here that my mind's saying one is like is that controversy is mm. is like helpful to get people to actually engage yeah because that whole process that we're talking about of questioning our own beliefs that needs to be active. yeah. And one of the ways to go from passive doom scrolling to active engagement and being like, Oh, I never thought of that. Or like, um, Oh, is that what I, no, that's bullshit. And like, there's, there's that active um, kind of uh, threshold for people to engage and actually start questioning. And Mm -hmm. controversy is one of those ways. There's probably other ways as well. What, What are your thoughts there to um, like transition people towards engaging and where might you know controversy be unhelpful when might it be a helpful way how else can we get people to question be
1: curious I think it's like help and then it depends on um, the sensitivity of the topic sometimes like if it's a very very sensitive topic maybe you don't create controversy around it you just go hey already mentioning that topic can sometimes be the thing that gets people to look oh whoa what's this about um i tend to do that a little bit more because i found that it's like more successful than other ways um but then like i leave specific nuance out and then um you know you have to swipe through things and read or like um it's a part of a series which like i think uh, a lot of people could see like recently when i posted it was just like here are the top five like things i haven't reposted already from this last year of like um posts and some people put a lot of questions and they're like well what about this and this and and that and i go well the fact is is that this is a larger part of a series of posts that so you're lacking some context or um a lot of times I've even stopped trying to post series other than for like people that are subscribers on my account because like people don't take the time and they may come in and like the fourth post of it. And then like they're like, oh, I don't really like this because this leaves this out and you didn't explain what this was. And I go, well, that's because this is like the fifth post of this series, um, you know. And I try to be in and then that's an area where like controversy isn't as helpful because like they're I can see like where they're coming from. So like you kind of have to be a little bit more polite about it. And then um, when you're trying to actually have like uh, sufficient dialogue, I think that's where controversy doesn't really help. So there's like uh, missing the context of an entire
0: post series because people that have those questions are like on the right track. They're, they're totally um, right yeah. in questioning and, and opening up. Hey, what about this context? Or like, mm-hmm. do you include this aspect of, you know, this modality or this intervention or this yeah. research series? Or what about this? It's like, yeah, you're, you're right. It's just within the constraints of this particular post. It can't explain everything so th- yeah i've already done it before so that's more effort on on your part as well for for that there's so, uh, so, a so maybe going away from the the series posts unless there are subscribers or people who actually do that and, and look through your profile
1: they're not just scrolling through the news feed yeah yep yeah because like i've noticed that on like the subscribers those are going to be your like quote unquote, like they call them. And I've heard the term like super user. So like, they're going to be the people that are actually like, are paying attention to everything and actually read everything um, you you would post. So I'm like, well, these people like, it's not that the everybody won't gain value from this. But like, this is so in depth that unless you actually read everything, it's not going to be like worth um, the time to put together.
0: And you mentioned the the level of sensitivity on certain topics, where mm-hmm. like you mentioned the the whole the claim of um, or your opinion on like musculoskeletal health is probably the one of the least evidence based uh, field sectors of healthcare that there is that like tug that my ego very hard. So that's already like a sensitive topic. Cause it's, mm-hmm. it feels like you'd be attacking the person in musculoskeletal yeah. health, which is absolutely not the claim. It's, it's more like my own feelings reacting to that post as opposed to you targeting me personally. But mm-hmm. what, what are some maybe um, nuances to that for um, both the content creators of like acknowledging levels of sensitivity just like we would with a patient, a client coming in with their own narratives. And also for the people engaging with the content to know that, um, you know, it's not about, it's not a personal attack. It's yeah. questioning the claim.
1: Yeah. And it's, I think it's like, because I try and purposely make like a post and then like have it be about a claim and now like name like a specific person. And like, I do sometimes like, and when I make a meme, it's like, controversial as in like it's a something that i know like if this was posted on a generic like pt meme page like it would probably be very popular but then i'll tend to like flip it on its head and be like um like i did the godzilla one where he's got like sunglasses on it it's like when a patient comes in with 10 out of 10 pain and you tell them like they can't have 10 out of 10 pain and like i put like that's not very biopsychosocial of you um things like that like Because, like, then that's a sensitive topic, right? Like, because how often do we hear people say that to patients? And then I kind of explained, like, well, this is why, like, we can't be doing that. So it's like it could come across as like I'm attacking you. But then I try and show you, like, well, well, let's back up a minute and be like, well, why are we saying that to people? And like, um you know, trying to poke and I really try and poke so much at like, and I've done this my whole life at like, why do we do things the way we do them or like whatever. It's just like these common things that I hear every day. And I'm just like, I really hate that. Like thing that people say, like, why do we say that to people? Um, And I, I think part of it is just like getting used to like complaining a little bit about your job. Like people do tend to just do that. So that's like popular. So I'm like, well, let me flip that around. Um, and then like the musculoskeletal care thing, like that came from even just reading through hypocrisy and like, you see how like, uh, wasteful, especially like particularly like wasteful musculoskeletal care is like, Oh, at least 50% of care is like un- unnecessary. Um, and even like to the point where I, I've had a lot more patients recently where they come in and I go, all right, well, here's some exercises, but you really don't need to come in and see me again. Um, Kind of thing. Um, you know, the tests we do, and and, and that's even changed. And because I'm reflective and have like read so many papers on like context and like getting a qualitative data is like um, getting better at having that discussion then with a patient too. And like a lot of times you're going to fall on your face and you're going to alienate another patient, but like it's almost like needed for you to get better at it or like you need to have those conversations at least with other coworkers to be like yeah how does this sound like how does this come across when we when i say this um and like knowing the sensitivity like um like one of my posts where it was like con- contextual factors like i was careful with the words that i used because uh one of the papers i was referencing discussed like PTSD in the terms of like um, abuse victims and uh, people have been in war and like, um, rape victims and stuff like that. And if you know anything about the algorithm too, you can't use those words. Like, your posts will get flagged. Like, my post actually got flagged and I had to refute it just for putting PTSD in there. Um, so if, like things like that, those are topics that you have to be sensitive about because, like, um, those are real um, traumas that people have experienced and you have to understand like, you know, the way you talk about that could severely alienate someone or make you see, come across very insensitive um, to those um, life experiences. That's the word that I want to use in it. You know, there's very real harm that can be um, unintentionally
0: caused in, in the yeah. words that we use. We, we know about it in things like, you know, bone on bone arthritis and the effects that that can have mm. on someone's livelihood and that can also apply to someone who's had some traumatic experiences that I, I didn't even know that um, you would get flagged for them, I guess, cause you know, you don't see those posts, but now I understand more where there's um, uh, there needs to be another word replacing trauma or, um, yeah, any of those uh will quote-unquote trigger words for
1: posts yeah. post to be approved. I think it's because of like malicious um things that have been out there. Like, you know, like I couldn't... Like, even if I say made a post about history of like World War II, if I put like the word Nazi on my post, it's going to be flagged by the algorithm. Maybe that, yeah, that's viable.
0: That makes a lot of sense. So I think we've covered most of the topics. I think this has been a... Uh, like I know from myself, very helpful to hear the uh, intentions, the behind the scenes of the kind of mean game, quote unquote, yeah. from the outside. Um, and there's a lot more that goes into it. So I really appreciate your your mm. insights in in helping out for the listeners to hear about what, what might be helpful uh, content, how to engage and how to start putting out content because it is very much as uh, healthcare professionals are responsibility to put out some good content and put out some countering information to dispel some of the myths that can harm yeah. our patients and, and clients. Is there anything yeah. I've, I've missed though, that
1: you'd like to, um, I want with? to talk a little bit about the, the more, the one that I did with physio thinker. So it was, it's Kunai, right? Is uh, that how he pronounces it? Kuni. I'm
0: Cooney. pretty sure. Okay. And, um, Cooney, if you're listening right now, you can like butcher us both if, if we yeah. fucked up
1: your name. So you can message me and <laughs> yeah. say you got that wrong. Because I hate. talked to him on and off. Um, but like that's what led to that post. Like, because I'm I've got so sick of like people on the it's not on like the sidelines, but people would come in and say you're like unprofessional for poking at like certain concepts. But I kind of wanted to then show the history of like, well, where does that come from? Because in that post we go over and i found papers of the person who started the lancet like it it was it was like reading and i'm like this is literally like what we do on instagram right now because it got to the point where people were afraid to mess up and do stuff in that um time period in london because they were going to be lambasted in the lancet um, and you know, he would go through like, you know, there this is this guy's still leeching people, this guy still believes if you bloodlat like this and this, and um, you know, and there's like this history of it where I don't think people realize like how that disruptive innovation actually helped significantly push um certain things forward. And and you can see that even in the history of like osteopathy, like osteopathy started with good intentions, then is devolved in some parts of the world to what it is, because they believed like they were like, Hey, we probably shouldn't be treating people with back pain with arsenic anymore. Um, And, you know, there's just this idea that we should all play nice in the sandbox. But I think just like if you had a PhD, you would like to, you need to straw man every possible thing and like make it so that your argument is stronger. So we need to like kind of weed out things that are, I would say the weakest links to make our position stronger um and i don't even care about physio itself like i think just rehab professions um combined because i i even wish we didn't have as many professions as we do yeah that's um another hot take
0: which i definitely yeah. agree with which if we're basing it off the same evidence it's it's not like um you know we're we've got extra special uh tricks and trades that are only you know trademarked and And um, it's so easy to to claim that though, and I guess this goes back to the value of looking at the history behind each profession, Mm -hmm. and then the the value of the the history of questioning. And the there's research now on like behavior change that shame is a way to um, shape social norms. Yeah. Imagine if people. I'm gonna. This may cancel me right now, but like imagine if people weren't shamed for raping someone. Yeah. There's there's consequences to every action, and back in the day, with in the medical profession, if you are a medical professional leeching someone, it's quite obvious that you're doing harm. It's a little bit less obvious now, but with research and evidence, that's where we can look at. Okay, we can question everything that people are doing, including ourselves, to make sure that we're not doing harm. So the purpose of the shame is to do no harm, which is the Hippocratic Oath. So there is value in questioning, and not just you know. Doing it to target a person, but doing it for the claim and the practice and the
1: intentions behind it. And I think that's where, even in like, there's some art to like using controversy and stuff because, like, we see it in media, like, especially now, like everything's quick to like jump on. But, like, in Berserk, like, Berserk is very dark and controversial and like a lot of negative things like happen in it, but it's like there to show you, like, it's not there just for the sake of it, it's there to show you something like and like push the story forward and then like um uh other things like that like show you like like even like because the main narrative of it is like no matter how dark it gets and how uh bad things get for the main character he persists and like continues on and like is there to help um, others um, even though uh, literally everything in his life is like trauma like this and and the thing is like some people too there's trauma portrayed in berserk but then they like talk about the difference between male and female trauma but they a lot of people don't look that's looking into the context further main character undergoes certain types of trauma too that are then later portrayed more explicitly um in it that like a lot of people missed, I think when uh, recently it got more popular and they saw some of the scenes in it. Um, But like, he's literally like had the worst life, um, but like continues to persist and like has grown and has overcome these traumatic events to do the things that he does and to have a family and to, you know, support other people. So there's two takeaways. One is watch
0: berserk, the anime, series and two is don't be afraid of calling bullshit out because yeah. shit can harm Mate, Jake. That's been an amazing chat and really yeah. appreciate your insights for the listeners who are keen to find out a bit more about you and your
1: other projects. Where can they find you? Um, so I'm best reach on Instagram at uh, strength and evidence underscore physio um, where I have posts most weekdays, except around holidays um do like story posts once in a while and about different things that you'll see more like i'll post personal things too i'm an actual person so if you do want to ask me questions you can message me and i will get back to you people are always surprised by that um it might not be right away but i i tend to try and not leave messages out unless they're spam or like um bots um Let's see on there. I'm also on the ATP performance podcast. Um, I should be on there more regularly now, um, creating my own content that'll be geared, um, half and half between like exercise physiology stuff and, um, physio, um, which I also have like one-to-one performance coaching through there. If it's your power lifter for bodybuilding, uh, just want to get in better shape. Um, I'm also doing one-to-one, uh, physio mentoring through that i have a newsletter that we just started uh i think the first one came out either today or yesterday i'd have to look at the my email again um and then i will have courses coming out this year through there too um discussing everything pretty much i know about like uh programming and practical implications for uh practice um discussing like and i will discuss adherence and different things like that too Exciting. That's a uh, online courses to clarify. Yeah. 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 But I'm going to do, uh, on demand, uh, ones cause it's easier. Um, and eventually maybe I'll get into like doing in person and all those things, but starting with the low hanging fruit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mate, you, like I, I said, probably before the podcast started recording, you have like five jobs.
0: So I appreciate you and all your hard work. Keep it up. And thanks. Really looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Thanks for having me on.